All right, all right. Well, good morning, brothers. Yeah, amen. So good to be here. Another Steak and Study. Uh, as Matt said, I'm, I'm Brian. I'm on staff here at Cornerstone. I'm just uh, delighted to be here before you to share the Word of God, to encourage your hearts, encourage your souls. Um, just a, a, a brief, another plug for our Steak, uh, not Steak and Study. <laughs> so I got steak on the brain. That's what it is. Um, our men's Bible study. Okay, so that'll be starting this Friday. Um, and it'll be every Friday until May, the end of May. And so um, I want to encourage you. I'm going to be going through the scriptures. I'm going to be going through, um, you know, we're starting with the gospels, just looking at the life of Jesus. And then as we go, after we go through the gospels, there'll be other character studies that we'll go through and books of the Bible we'll go through just to pull out and extract. What does God say to us about the character that men should have to reflect the Lord? Amen. So that's going to be a blessed time. I encourage you to come out. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, you can take it out. We're going to be in the book of Acts. And so, uh, you know, as I was getting up this morning, man, I was like excited to be here. And as I'm approaching closer to 50, age 50, I, I'm realizing, I know I, look, I don't look that you know, old, right? I look a little young. But uh, man, I just, the more and more I think about how youth is waste on the young, you, you feel where I'm coming from? Youth is waste on the young, man. I'm like, you know, it was days I can get out there and play basketball, run around now, the elbow and the, the knee. You know, there was, a, there was a rapper out there by the name of T-Pain. He's not that relevant anymore, but a rapper named T-Pain. I feel like if I was a rapper, I'd be knee pain. <laughs> knee pain, you know, so anyway, but you know, so listen, praise God anyway, right? Look, you, you go through the knee pain, the elbow pain, and just say, Lord, uh, I'm just going to keep living and keep doing, what, doing your will. Amen? Um, so if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 17. And it's there we're going to be sort of reading a little bit and then discussing about Paul, the apostle, and uh, kind of how God was, 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 was working in the life of Paul through his missions. And so um, if I could, you know, speak to you from a, a title this morning, uh, I, want to, I want to make the, 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 the message be about knowing God and making God known. That's our chief end. That's what God's purpose is for all of us, to know your God and to make him known. So... Acts chapter 17, right about verse 16. You're there, say amen. Amen. So, as we read, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached them Jesus, or he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one man, one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, 
and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, and also to his offspring. And we are his offspring. So let's pray to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you this morning, God. We want, first and foremost, for your name to be glorified. We want your name to be reverenced and hallowed. We want to worship you. And Lord, we thank you for how good you are to us. We want to acknowledge you for who you are. Now this morning, Lord, we ask humbly that, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me, move me aside, speak to these men this morning what you would have them to know, that, God, you would open our hearts to love you more and to draw closer to you, and, God, to make your name great in the earth. You are great, but, Lord, we want to proclaim that you are greatly to be praised. And so it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, a little bit of background. So, Paul the Apostle, in this, in this point in the passage, he's on his second missionary journey. And he comes to the place Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a little port city off the, uh, that not too far from Athens. And so, the scripture says, as, as is Paul's custom, he would first go to the Jewish synagogue. And so while there, he's preaching from the scriptures, he's preaching from the Old Testament scriptures, making Jesus known to the Jews in that synagogue. And so uh, what, what began to happen was God began to show up. People started believing. There were, Jewish, there were Jews who were coming to the Lord and saying, yes, you're right, that makes sense. And so th- that, that caused a bit of a stir as he was preaching truth because the scripture says that many began to believe and come to the Lord and come to the knowledge of Christ. And so that began to cause a stir. The Jewish, the Jews there in that synagogue, they, they, they started going in an uproar. They were like, listen, no, we can't have this. Because when you start preaching truth, it starts rubbing folk the wrong way, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what truth does. And so as people began to come to the Lord, it, it was like a big uproar because they were, they were, they were like, look, we're going to go grab this Paul. We're going to get all those guys with him and we're going to drag him out into the city and we're going we're gonna, to you know, bring him before the authorities. And so Paul kind of escaped, right, escaped out, but then they got a hold of a guy named Jason who was the guy, you know, they thought, hey, Jason is there. He's probably one of those known amongst the Jewish synagogues and some other his, his traveling companions. They grabbed those guys, couldn't find Paul. But the scripture says something funny. It says that they actually went down, the Jewish guys, went down to the marketplace and found a couple thugs. The, the scripture says they found certain lewd fellows, certain wicked men that they took along with them. They're just like, look, we're going to go get Paul and them, but we're going to get some local muscle. They, they wanted to make cause that much of a stir. And so the scripture says that Paul, you know, with, with, with the help of some of his companions, left the city. They didn't get him, but they, they, uh, they, dwelt, they dealt with some of his companions and they kind of came to an agreement and then they moved on and they let the guys go. So he, now Paul is traveled to Berea, another, sec, another place in this second missionary journey. The Bereans, typically in the scriptures, we hear about the Berean brothers, the Berean, the, the Jews at Berea who were noble minded because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things Paul was talking about were so. And the Bible says that as Paul began to preach to the Jews there, there again, God started moving. The truth started going forth and people started believing, right? And so uh, the text said the Jews from Thessalonica previously, they heard about it and they were like upset. They're like, oh, he's stirring up trouble at another synagogue. We're going over there. And so there was another uproar, right? Because that's what truth does. Preaching the truth, people don't like it. It rubs people the wrong way. But what was Paul's aim? I'm going to know, I know, I want to make sure that I know God and I'm going to make him known. Amen. Regardless of the, 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 the feedback, regardless of the outlash, the, 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 regardless of, you know, how, how, how much opposition you have to face, we're going to make God known. And so from that point, the Bible says that he left there, kind of snuck out. Some of his companions took him to the, up to, you know, to the coast and said, all right, we need to get you out of here, Paul. 
all right, get you to Athens. And so uh, his, his traveling companion, Timothy and Silas, uh, young Timothy, who later became, you know, who was a disciple of Paul, who later became Pastor Timothy, whom he wrote, to whom he wrote his epistle in the book of Timothy, right? Uh, they were supposed to meet Paul in Athens. So there we, 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 we were at the place in the text where, I'm, you know, where we're going to talk a little bit here. And so while there, the scripture says, he gets to Athens waiting for Timothy and Silas. And it says that Paul, his spirit began to be provoked within him. Because what provoked him? He looked around and he saw idols. He saw statues. He saw people giving, paying homage to, 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 to false idols and false things, false worship going on. And the Bible says that his spirit was provoked. It wasn't like he was like, oh man, these people are going the wrong way. That word provoked in the Greek is actually the word paroxanito, paroxaneto. And that word actually means he was angered. He was irritated, exasperated. Anybody ever feel that way? Looking at the world around us today, you flip through the news. Anybody ever feel that way? You're at school, you're at work, wherever you are, and your spirit is provoked. Anybody with me? Because you see the stuff going on, you say, God, this just can't be. You know, and so what that then led Paul to do was to do what he's always been doing. He said, I want to make God known. So then he, he began, the scripture says, he encountered some guys that were known as the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans believe that the chief end of man was to avoid suffering and to live life of comfort and pleasure. Get all you can get. Get all the pleasure you can get was their motto because YOLO, you only live once. That was their motto, the Epicureans. Then you had some guys called the Stoics. The Stoics believed that there might be a God out there. So it was kind of this agnostic view. We, I don't know if we can know him because God kind of created the world and then took a step back and he has nothing to do with it, right? We can see a lot of that, that, that philosophy and those ideologies today. There are churches who teach you that your chief goal is to get pleasure and be comfortable, that God doesn't want you to suffer. It's called the prosperity gospel. It's false teaching. So then there's other people who say, you know what, there, there might be a God out there, but God is everything. That's what the, the, the Stoics believe. God is in everything. We don't really know him, but he's everywhere. He's in everything. He can be in that, you know, he's in, he's in the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. He's in the oxygen we breathe. It's God. God is everywhere. God is in everything. Then Paul says, listen, his response was, no, let me preach to you Jesus in the resurrection. If you read later in the book of Corinthians, Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, an idol is nothing. An idol is nothing. There is no such thing as, a, as, a, as, a, as another God. These are just demons posing as gods. There's no such thing as another idol or another God. So the Athenians found this to be strange. They brought him to this place called the Areopagus. The Areopagus was this court, this hill that, uh, that it, it was formerly used for people to come and present and def a defense for what they believed. If someone was on trial, they would come to the Areopagus. So they brought Paul there. I don't know if they dragged him there by force or he came, but Paul was willing to speak. Right? And the scripture says that this was a place where people would come regularly to, to talk about whatever was new, that new thing. It was, you know, it, it, you know history teaches us that it was actually uh, uh, the center at the time of, you know, uh, of, of great thought. It was, it was a, a center of informational exchange, right? People came there to learn what was new. He preaches something new and they thought it was strange. You ever think that's, that's strange? He's preaching something to, that they didn't know about, but that was strange to them, but nothing else that they heard was strange. Because Jesus always rubs people the wrong way. Everybody wants to be tolerant everything, of everything except for Jesus. All right, well, he came to that place and he said, all right, listen, here's what I want you to, want you to know. This God that you think you're worshiping, I want to proclaim him to you and make him known. So Paul said, 
you can know the true God. So that was the first thing, if you want want to walk away with a point. We can know God. God has made himself known to us. How has he done that? Well, there's two major ways that, that we understand. Many theologians believe that there's what we call general revelation and then special revelation. General revelation and special revelation. Our general revelation in the book of Romans, Paul said this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood through the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in the heart. So what is Paul saying here? The created things, through what is created, through creation, there are things that we can generally know about God. God values beauty. We can see that in creation. There's a God who values beauty. We can see it in the plants. He values diversity. We can see it in the biodiversity we see in life. There are literally millions and billions of species of plants and animals and, 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 and insects and things of that nature. God has a sense of order. We can see it in the bodily systems, in the atmospheric systems that are at work at all times, never ceasing. God is intelligent. There are principles and laws of physics that govern our world, and there is information in our very cells of every, in every living thing called DNA, right? And, the, and written in the nuclei of every cell of every living thing. Bill Gates once said this, that, that, the, that the DNA, DNA, the information in cells, is more complex than any computer code that was ever written. There's an intelligence behind it. Paul said, well, let me go a little bit further. Let me be more specific. That's God. The God you think you worship. Now, we have special revelation. God's written word. P- the apostle Peter said this, Second Peter. And we, so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We can know God both generally and divine and through divinely inspired revelation. God did not leave it up to us just to figure it out. He didn't just take a step back, as the Stoics would say. He actually wanted us to understand and know him, so he wrote a book. God is interested in making sure that you know him and that you make him known. Anybody tell you, well, the Bible was just written by men? No, correction. It was written by holy men who God superintended over to make sure that the information got to you correctly. What's harder for God to do? To get information to you by written information or to put the stars and the planets in a line in their paths so that they don't crash, which is easier. Right? So tell all these people who don't believe in God, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So, verse 23, God does not desire us to worship in ignorance. He said, the God that you think you're worshiping, you're worshiping in ignorance. But God is concerned with worship. All men were created to worship. You're wired to worship. More specifically, you're wired to worship the God that created you. We are created for his glory and for his pleasure. Let me tell you something. If you don't feel like you're, you're kind of living up to your potential, you don't feel like you're living according to your purpose, maybe it's because you're not really serious about your worship. You were called to do that. You were called to commune with your God. And if you're not putting forth the maximum effort to say, God, I want to know you, open up my heart so I can know you more, then you might, be, you might be feeling like your purpose is passing you by because that's the chief purpose for which you were created, to worship your God. Amen. Verse 24 
Here's what Paul tells them. He said, the God who is creator of all things. Paul tells the folks at Areopagus that the true God is the one that created everything you see. It didn't just get here on its own. It's not here by accident. It's not some sort of cosmic big bang that got here for no reason at all. God had intention. Understanding God begins with understanding him as creator. Listen, let me tell you something. If you can't trust Genesis 1, you can't trust John 3.16. Amen. And so the God, same God who created man first, all things, is the same God that died on the cross for our sins. He's the same God. So the text goes on to say, he is Lord of heaven and earth. Verse 24, he is Lord of heaven and earth, meaning he is sovereign over it. God desires for us to be totally surrendered to him as Lord in all things. Because he's in control of the earth and he wants to be in control over your life. It's not enough for you just to warm up, get cozy by God and get cozy around the things of God. You need to submit to the lordship of God in your life and say, God, be head of my life. Direct my affairs. Let me follow after you. Romans 8 and 28, the Bible says that God causes all things to work together for your good. How could he do that if he wasn't Lord over it? Nothing takes God by surprise. So that same God you can trust because he's in control, but he wants to be in control of your life. All right, verse 25, he said, the scripture says, he is not contained in things that are made with human hands or human thought. He is not served by our hands as though God needed anything. God doesn't need a thing. God is self-sufficient. Let me tell you the self-sufficiency of God. This same God, remember back in the book of Exodus, he appears to Moses in a burning bush. And, that, and Moses is looking at that bush in amazement, I imagine, because he's looking at the bush and God is talking to him. But he's noticing that the bush is not burning up or being consumed. He's, look, he's probably thinking, he's like, okay, God, I hear you, but this is pretty amazing. The bush is not burning up, it's not going up in smoke, and it's not in ashes. And so here's what that tells us, a little glimpse of the self-sufficiency of God. God needs nothing. God was not dependent upon the oxygen, the fuel that was provided in the bush to burn as a flame. God is his own flame and he's his own energy. And so you say, well, wow, that's pretty amazing. So just reflect on it. That same God who's self-sufficient is the same God says that I'm sufficient for every one of your needs. That same God is sufficient for everything you need in this life. You've got to trust him. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. But guess what? The beauty is that he's opened the door wide so that you can come to him and so that you can discover that you need him. Amen. So since God needs nothing, he supplies everything. Let's move forward. I was going through the, the Microsoft news feed, looking at some of the idols of our day, and I got provoked. <laughs> one, of the, one of the idols of our day is this thing called racism. This thing called racism. I don't want to make this a soapbox. I'm gonna, I just want to put it in there because it's in the text. Acts chapter uh, uh, 17, 26, Paul said this. He said, God made from one man, every nation on the earth, from one blood. Let me tell you something. Racism makes no sense whatsoever because we all came from the same breathing dirt that God used to make Adam. I was literally looking at the, the, the articles and I counted them. There were 65 articles dealing with race and racism. To say that that's the, 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 the idol of our day would be an understatement. 
Being anti-racist is the new virtue. Race is the idol. It's a religion because people look at it as, and it's a way that they can point to themselves and say, look how good I am because I'm not a racist. The Bible didn't even talk about race. The word that Paul uses here is the word nation and it's the word ethnos in the Greek. The word ethnos is the word we get, the, the word we understand is ethnicity. God created from one man all of the ethnicities on earth. We have various nations and ethnicities on different continents and planets, but we're brothers. There is one race, many ethnicities. Being a racist doesn't make sense. Racism, let me define it for you. It's an age-old sin that has always occurred in human societies like classism, sexism, and other isms you can name that oppose God. Men are sinners. Get that. We're sinners. So there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be issues. Because men are sinners, there's always what we call racists, those who project hatred, pride, and partiality. But racism is hardly America's biggest problem. Sin is. It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Thomas Sowell said this, racism is not dead, but it's on life support. It's kept alive by people who want to make it an idol. There's a newly resurrected interest in this, in this racist ideology. It's been aimed at manufacturing unrest, distrust, and dissatisfaction in America. The revised form of racism has at its fundamental tenet that where there are disparities among people grouped, then it has to be racism because there are differences in outcome. That's not racism. Racism is, is, is actually uh, cap, cap, is, is summarized in three major sins. So racism is a sin. Hatred is a sin. Jesus said, if you hate your brother without cause, you hate your brother, then you are worthy of, you are, you are worthy of death because that is the sin of murder. Pride. The Bible says God resists the proud. If you have racial pride or you believe that your group of people is somehow better than another group of people, that's pride. And then there's what the Bible calls partiality to prefer others uh, as more highly esteemed than others. That is a form of prejudice. So that's what racism is. It's not the stuff that they have, have made it into and they redefined it so that it applies to everything. And when everything's racist, nothing is racist. All right, so I'm gonna get off that book, off of that, off of that topic. But here's the deal. Every man came from God and true racism is to believe that, the, that you are, one, we are made in the image of God and to believe that the image of God that he created in you is somehow better than the image of God that he created in me. That is to make yourself God. Get off of that throne. It doesn't belong to you. Amen. All right. So here's what God wants us to know moving forward. He said, also Paul said in verses 26 and 27, he not only made every man from one blood, but he placed them in their various boundaries and habitations and places so that you would know him so that you would feel after him and group for him wherever you were born and whatever your context, wherever God placed you. I don't care if it was in another continent. I don't care if it was in a war-torn country. I don't care if it was in a, a crime-ridden city somewhere. I don't care if it was in the suburbs. I don't care if it was on a farm somewhere. I don't care if you had two parents or had one. I don't care if you were adopted. I don't care if you were an orphan. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make a difference in terms of why you're here now. Because the Bible says that he did that. Yes, God allowed every single context. You mean God allowed those things in my life? God didn't bring that pain, but that pain was designed for you to look up and see the God of heaven, to ask questions. The Bible says that you would ask questions and look up and say, why am I here? Who is this God and what is my purpose? That's what it was designed for. The chief end of man is to know your God and to make him known. And what more specifically God said, he said he wants you to know him. The only way that you can is to come to him through a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus, he came to, he came to us personally 
in the person of Jesus to die on the cross so that you could have forgiveness of sin so that he can reconcile us back to himself so that you could have eternal life. That is the chief end of man, to know your God and then to make that message known to other people. The Bible says, verse 27 and 30, as I'm coming to a close, he is not far from each one of us. Jesus said that when he left earth, he would send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in the earth now to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is not far from us right now. He's the same God who's knocking at the door of your heart saying, if you would just let me in. He's the same God that says, in your trouble, in your trial, in your circumstance, I'm right here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's near. And if you're feeling like God has not been near to you, then maybe you just need to open your heart, open your eyes, open your mouth and say, God, I bow my knee and I humble myself. Show yourself to me. I need to know you. I want to know you. And he's declaring, the scripture says, go on, go on down to verses 30, 31. He said, that same God is calling to men everywhere right now saying, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because there's going to be a judgment. Hebrews 9:27 says that there's a point to man wants to die. Then there will be a judgment. Amen. So listen, let's pray to the Lord. And I just want you to pray where you are. God, what is my purpose here? Well, specifically, we we learn from the text that your purpose is to worship your creator. Your purpose is to worship your God. And then it is, just like the Apostle Paul, to be stirred and provoked to make sure that others know him. Make sure your family, your wife, your children do not go without knowing and understanding the true gospel. Make sure that you come in contact with someone in your sphere of influence, your community, to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. I ask that, Lord, that you would bless these men here. Be with them. Father, stir their hearts. Fill them with your spirit. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would bow the knee in conviction to say, what must I do to enter a personal relationship with God? What must I do to be saved? And that is to confess the Lord Jesus, Romans 10, 9, to confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart. That the Lord died on the cross and he was resurrected. And so Lord, we thank you and praise you for what you're doing here and what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, men, be blessed. <laughs>